The World Juniors Trophy is staying in North America, but it'll be leaving Canada once the border is open, which will probably take a while. Uh, meantime, Matt Barzal ends his short holdout at Islanders camp. Corey Crawford announces his sudden retirement. The Dallas Stars get hip-checked by COVID, and we debate a few last-minute topics before we get to see some live hockey. Episode 251 of the Lace Up Podcast starts right now. It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Dubuff. And uh, Brett, a busy, jam-packed show. Where are we starting off first? Yeah, we're going to... Well, we've kind of mentioned it here in a way for the last couple of episodes about the World Juniors, but they ended, and um, (laughs) my country beat your country. Uh, Team Mm -hmm. USA beat Canada um, in the World Juniors on Tuesday, and it was really, um, I don't know, I, maybe it just had to do with the fact that there was no hockey, because usually, like, it's always on the back of my mind when the World Juniors happens, but I was, like, watching pretty much every game, (laughs) um, like, for the last two weeks or so, just because, like, I was that craved for hockey, um, and it was was so exciting, because I also have, like, I have Trevor Zegers in two leagues. I have uh, Dylan Cousins in two leagues. I have Anton Lundell in two leagues, and those were like the three best players in the in the tourney. So I was happy about that. Um, you know, uh, I also have like you know Tim Stutzla and stuff. So I was interested in like that component because I have a lot of these prospects on my dynasty leagues and cap leagues. But at the same time, it was it was exciting that like. Like, for the future of America, that, like, you know, it felt like, I don't know what the consensus is on USA hockey around the world, and maybe you can fill me in, Steve, after I say this, but, like, it always, like, felt like, you know, even, like, you know, America was slowly, slowly, slowly getting better, and it's, you know, just in hockey terms, it's always just competing about Canada. Canada's always been the top dog always has been, like, the one to beat and stuff, to the point where, like, um, in, like, you know, 2010, it was, impre- like, obviously, you had the golden goal in, uh, with Crosby winning, but, like, in uh, 2014, uh, when there was the next tourney in Vancouver, uh, not in Vancouver, or wherever it was, oh, in Sochi, like, you know, we built, like, the Americans built this team that was just full of, full of grit, even though, like, you didn't need grit, you know, like, because you, you just wanted to, like, win one nothing against Canada and stuff. And now, like, when you see guys like Trevor Zegras, you see guys like Alex Turcotte, Arthur Kaliev, Matthew Boldy, John Farinacci, Bobby Brink, Cameron York, uh, Brett Burrard, and that's not even including, like, the guys who are already in the NHL right now. Jack Eichel, um, you know, Austin Matthews, Johnny Gaudreau, Patrick Kane, of course, although he may not, I mean, he's a little bit past his prime, but, like, like, and all these defensemen, like Seth Jones, Zach Wierenski, Tori Krug, um, <laughs> you know, like, any, pretty much any American uh, defenseman, like, or goaltender, Connor Hellebuck, John Gibson, um, you know, like, Spencer Knight, even, like, 
like, you know, the future is very, very bright for the Americans that like, for the first time, I feel like USA will win the Olympic gold in my lifetime. Like I kind of like, I always like said it just because like, I, I feel like that's the right thing to say, but like, I don't know. I think, oh, I forgot like the Kachucks and the Hughes of the world too. It's like, you know, like, I feel like we actually have a chance to beat Canada, um, this year, like, you know, in the next couple of years, especially if Trevor Zegras and, um, all those guys, like, I feel like we'll have enough players to compete with Canada in a few years, but it's so exciting just to see all these guys and especially Trevor Zegras, who's been, who's incredible, uh, this tourney, um, and I guess I'll start with that because I think we're just going to lean into like guys that we thought were impressive during the World Juniors, and then we'll go on to the rest of our stuff. But yeah, like um, so. First off, Trevor Zegras, um, who will be the first guy that I thought was impressive. Um, so he, he had 18 points um, in these seven games, but uh, you, we forget that he also had. Uh, five, uh, nine points in five games than the last World Juniors. Uh, all those were assists. But the thing that's most impressive about this tourney, as opposed to the last tourney, was that he had seven goals. Um, and a lot of those goals were, like, really, really nice. Like, it was just slab shots straight to the net. Um, and that was kind of, like, the cool uh, thing about him is that, like, you know, I think, like, even me, when I drafted Zegers, I was thinking, like, oh, he's going to be, like, this playmaker type and... Um, that's kind of why he, you know, he wasn't high on a lot of draft boards or, um, or maybe even why he even fell to ninth overall was just cause he's a playmaker and stuff. But like now that he can like shoot and score goals, um, I know it's a world junior, small sample size, whatever, whatever. But like the fact that he can, like, he added that element to his game is like so impressive that like he can compete with all these other top echelon prospects that are out right now um and that's so so impressive i think you have some other stats too but i think he tied was it doug Waite for most u.s points in a world junior career is that right so he almost did. He was one point off the uh, uh, tying Doug Waite for the record by an American-born player. And even if he did that, like, I think the most points in a tournament is held by, like, Forsberg, and he's got, like, 30-plus. Right. So yeah. he, he would still have a long way to go to, like, break the all-time tournament record. But what's interesting is that Doug Waite, when he did that, the U.S. didn't medal. This U.S. team won gold. On top of that, this U.S. team lost to Russia their very first game and got uh, a pretty big jolt, um, a little bit of a scare against Finland in the semifinals, won a 3-1 lead, seemingly evaporated, and then U.S. finds a way to win that. And Zegras played against high-quality competition all the way through. Russia... Big game for him to start the tournament. Um, Austria, well, everyone dunked on Austria, but they also faced the Czechs. They faced Sweden, who they shut out for nothing. Um, then they played Slovakia, who gave them a good run, and then Finland, and then Canada. And Zegers had big games across the board. didn't matter who they were going up against. And that group, out of Group A and Group B, Group B was definitely the strongest. The Americans had the toughest road to get here. And the fact that Trevor Zegras did all of that 
and he was just setting up goals that lethal shot like he was scoring highlight real goals with that wicked shot just the way he evolved his game honestly one of the best performances i've ever seen yeah i know it's incredible like it was incredible watching him and i can't wait uh to see him play on anaheim i assume he'll like eventually like he'll get his six games on the ducks but maybe it makes sense to just uh go to the ahl for a bit um, because it's not like the Ducks are going to be competing and you don't want to burn a, con- like a burn a year on his contract. Um, but, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, he, like, it, but at the same time, it seems like he's NHL ready right now. Um, and, uh, <laughs> the Ducks may not have a choice and, and send him up and, you know, and he has like, he, well, we're going to talk about it in this bit, but. Uh, Zegris could be up there full time um, this year. It wouldn't shock me. Um, other guys, it, it, it would probably be if it's best for his development. Just keep him up. Like, yeah. don't send him down to the AHL just to burn off a year of his ELC. Right. If he's not playing hockey, if he's not doing anything, oh yeah, just, of course. He's just basically sitting there not doing anything. So, like, I don't care if I burn a year a year of his ELC. If it helps further his development and not slow him down. So what you you can yeah. you can worry about that uh, in the years to come with the ELC and whatnot. Yeah, I just guess the, make sure he's playing hockey and doing well. Yeah, I guess that's true. I I guess my only concern would be is that like the Ducks aren't like I think the Ducks should probably tank for one more year, um, at least. And so if they do, like and so that would be kind of my concern is that like then like it will create like kind of a barrier for them because then they'll probably have to pay Zegris more eventually like earlier on than they were expected to or something like that so that's what my thinking was but yeah I, I could also see that like you know the Brady Kachuk type of thing if you're ready to play just like like it might hurt him if he plays in the AHL all year but yeah it's it'll be curious to see how he does during that time um, other players that were impressive, uh, Dylan Cousins, um, he had eight goals. I think he had the most goals in the uh, thing, um, in the points thing. I think, I mean, this goes back to the USA-Canada game. I think the interesting thing about Canada and the U.S.'s journey to the finals was that, like, you know, USA was playing against Russia, Czech Republic, Sweden, um, I mean, they were also playing Austria, but we'll get to that in a second. But, like, those were pretty tough. Uh, those first three that I mentioned were pretty tough countries to face against, whereas Canada pretty much only faced, like, Finland um, in the preliminaries. Um, and, I mean, and Germany was also tougher than, than we gave them credit for and all that stuff. But, um like, I think, what, and then what ended up happening was USA was struggling with Russia to the point where they lost that game. But I think, like, after that point, USA started to realize, like, oh, wait, we, we're better than this. And they started, like, crushing Austria. They started crushing um, Czech Republic. They started crushing uh, Sweden. And um, and then that they just took that on to the rest of the tourney, even though, like, they almost lost to Finland. But, like, they still persevered. Whereas for Canada, they were just rolling throughout. Like, it was, like, at some points, it could have been, like, 20 to nothing in some games. So, um, and they never really battled that adversity, even though, on paper, they were the better team. 
Um, so I think there's something to that. And um, even still, like, you know, Dylan Cousins was the best player on the Team Canada team. Um, and, yeah, he kind of stood out to me where he was, like, whenever he was on the ice, he was just, um, you know, making plays and stuff like that. And I feel like Cousins has a better chance of being in the NHL than Zegers does this year. Um, purely because I think uh, the Sabres are going to be trying to go for it and it, and I feel like Cousins might be ready for it. Of course, like he'll probably be like either the third line center or the right winger on um, on either Eichel's or uh, Eric Stahl's line. But like I feel like the Sabres might use Dylan Cousins as like a wild card if things go truly terrible, which it might. Yeah, well, the Sabres, speaking of which, had a lot of good prospects. J.J. Paterka had a yeah. great uh, showing for Germany. Like, he was uh, second or third in, in team scoring. Um, actually, might have been first, but he's definitely top three. And then you have uh, Jack Quinn, whose Corsi numbers uh, were, were better than I, I think a lot of people were, were giving him credit for. And then on oh, top of that, man. of course, Dylan Cousins, who had 16 points in seven games this tournament. That's the... Um, I believe um, in terms of most points by Canadian World Junior history, that's uh, that's um, actually – actually, sorry, I got them confused. His 2021 showing was the fifth highest scoring performance by a Canadian. In terms of all-time World Junior points by a Canadian, he's fourth in that department. So you talk about how – Good Trevor Zegers has been in the World Juniors. Dylan Cousins has also been uh, pretty good. And that Canadian team didn't have Kirby Dock. They had the likes of Bowen Byram and Connor McMichael, yeah. Peyton Krebs, Cole Perfetti, to name a few. Quentin Byfield as well, who had that big six-point game. And it, I don't think it was anything that Canada did wrong. It was just everything that America did right. They they knew what to do when Canada started to get going yep. because they had been through at, that adversity before. The puck isn't going in the American net, and the Canadians are just like, "What's going on? We're throwing right. everything at them. We're not scoring goals." Like, yeah, it's it, just Spencer. Th- Knight their was road incredible. was definitely the easier out of the again uh, compared to the Americans. And what's what's also interesting, people might think, "Oh, you know, this is Canada's sport. They should be able to beat the Americans in the gold medal game." Fact of the matter is, I think in the past five opportunities Canada and the USA have gone for gold in this yeah, tournament. True. The US has won four of them. Yeah. And they and they're the only time they shut Canada out was this year. So what for whatever reason the Americans have Canada's number in this tournament. It's been that way for a couple of years now. Yeah. So it's it's not that big of a surprise that the Americans won here. Yeah, I guess it wasn't too much of a surprise when you've like, you know, if you know your world juniors history, I guess, in that consensus but even still like Canada had so many like first round picks I think like pretty much everyone on the team except for Devon Levi the goalie was like a first round pick um so like Devin Levi was nominated as top goalie of the tournament no big deal yeah even though I I feel like that should have gone with Spencer Knight but that's like obviously yeah yeah good but yeah, yeah you're exactly. you're right like they had philip tomasino too another first yeah like when so, you're yeah. when you have like quinton byfield on the fourth line that should never happen <laughs> but like you know your yeah. death is good or like the fact that like you can like kirby doc gets injured uh that's that was a very boston accent there <laughs> um, 
Kirby Doc gets injured, and then like you can immediately replace him with someone who's pretty good at in his own right, Philip Tomasino, and he gets six points in seven games. And in, in this, it's just like incredible that you can like their depth was insane. But like, yeah, so I think like on paper Canada was the better team, but like the Americans, like you know, Zegras, uh, Turcotte, uh, Boldy, uh, Spencer Knight. They uh, York. They all had like experience on that U.S. and development team, um, and I think that's kind of was the like they already had this chemistry together, and I think that's what helped them get along. Cole Caulfield's another one too, so I think that was like another factor too. Is like this team has played a lot of games together, um, which which definitely helps just from a chemistry standpoint. Um, so I don't want to take too much else of our time with the World Juniors, but I do want to shout out some players um, that were impressive, and then you can go on your list. Um, you're going to talk about Tim Stutzla, so I'll leave that to you, but he was definitely impressive. Uh, John Jason Paterka and then uh, Florian Elias uh, were the, also a part of that top line um, for Germany. And, you know, John Jason Paterka, he's, he was drafted by the Sabres. Um, in this draft, in the 2020 draft, the Florian Elias, um, he's not going to, he wasn't drafted by anyone. So I wonder, I'm sure he's going to, someone's going to draft him in this draft here because no one's going to pick him up. Um, so I, I'm sure that's going to be a thing pretty soon. Um, you're also going to talk about the Austrian goalie who got like so many shots on goal for him, even though like it was pretty much just Marco Rossi and no one else. Um, so I think, and I think like the Austrians were affected by COVID. Well, I guess all team, all these teams were affected by COVID in some way. Um, so you can't really like blame it on that, but I think. I think Germany was affected by COVID more than Austria, but yeah. Like, I think Austria had like, um, I forget his name, but they had like, um, there was an NHL prospect defenseman. Um, that they sorely missed because they couldn't like transition a puck. <laughs> like they, if you want to know why it's important to be good on defense, that like just watch Austria during this World Juniors because that's why they couldn't transition at all. No matter how good Marco Rossi is, y- you have to have like you know you have to have more players than Marco Rossi. Um, but um, yeah, so so that was. Uh, an interesting thing, uh, just from the opposite, uh, Rodian Amirov and, uh, Pod Colson also stood out to me from the Team Russia side. Um, I guess also in a way, like, there were times when, I mean, obviously, um, Askarov wasn't, uh, impressive, like, consistently like Spencer Knight was, but... Um, there was definitely times when, like, I was thinking, like, oh, okay, I can see why Askarov is as good as people are hyping him up to be. Um, but, like, I don't know if he's gonna, ever going to reach that level. But, I mean, it's definitely possible. Um, we also saw Jesper Wallstead, who's going to be, like, a, they say that he's also going to be, like, an Askarov, Spencer Knight type, where he's going to be drafted in the first round uh, type of deal. So he looked good. Uh, when he was playing, um, and then Devon Levi, even though, like, as I was mentioning, Canada didn't really play tough competition, um, he was still impressive, and with him, with Spencer Knight, like, you know, Florida, um, is, like, they're both Florida prospects, 
Um, Florida's going to have some situations to deal with if both of Devon Levi and uh, Spencer Knight continue on to be what they were because they're going to have some, might be just like a tandem thing, but at the same time, (laughs) Bobrovsky still going to be on a a part of the contract as well. So uh, they're in good hands, Florida is, in a way. Um, even if Bobrovsky was kind of, in hindsight, may not have been the best contract for them. Yeah, the question everyone's wondering, why yep. sign Bobrovsky that contract when you drafted these two guys? Yep. Also two sh- nights in a row. Also want to shout out Anton Lindell. He looked really good. Um, it's like mm-hmm. it's weird that he was scoring offense. I feel like that was kind of like the knock on him, is that like he was good on defense, but he also looked pretty good on offense too. Um, he was making plays. Um, so that, I don't want to, again, I don't want to take up too much time. Um, oh, I guess the other note I wanted to say is like, even though Alex Turcotte only got three goals, he was like, pretty much all the goals were very, very impressive to me. Um, and yeah, there were also big goals too, and there were like in the goals, semifinals, yeah. in the final where yeah. he got the opening goal off a great tip. Yeah. Like just simple, big goals. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of like a Jonathan Taze type. Um, and I think I think the Kings will like that comparison. So I think that could definitely be a, a good fit for him. Um, anyways, I don't want to take too much time. Uh, do you have any other players that you want to mention? So I will mention uh, Tim Stutzla. Um, the way he competed against Canada, even though his team was just outplayed in all areas, um, was definitely eye-opening for me. And eventually the Germans bounced back after two straight defeats. They gave Russia a very solid fight in the quarterfinals. And the driving force from start to finish of that offense was Tim Stutzla. He had 10 points in five games, I think. Uh, He factored into 14 of 15 Germany goals, which, again, glaring number right there of how good of a player he was, how important he was. Um, An absolute monster against Slovakia. Then he has that five-point game against Team Switzerland. A guy who really belonged in this tournament, really dominated as well, and someone that looks NHL ready. Yeah. And as a Sens fan, I'm hyped to see him play, of course. Um, big, big shout-out to, I would call the underdog in this tournament, Austrian goaltender Sebastian Ranischitz. Uh, Sebastian Ranischitz, I believe is how you pronounce his name. Um, yeah. Only 18 years old, this kid. And here's a bit of information to put things into perspective for you. We talk about Austria being the poster boys of just getting dunked on in this tournament. And as a team, Austria manufactured 49 total shots on goal over four games. In every single one of the games they played, they gave up at least 50 shots. And they had 49 total shots the entire tournament. Yeah, that's crazy. Mark Rossi, I think, had like eight of those 49 shots, and he was definitely their best offensive player. But if you put Mark Rossi on, on a team like Germany or West or whatever, where you have all these pieces around him, he probably up 10, 10 numbers, maybe Trevor Zegers numbers. But because there's not really anyone else in Austria that really sticks out, he didn't really put up any points, yeah. didn't really do much except the shots on goal. Uh, So it's not surprising why Austria lost all four games. But just to delve deeper into how bad Austria was, uh, they gave up uh, 13 shots in a period, the lowest single period total all tournament long for them. The most shots they had in a period was nine. 
So the most shots they had in a period was lower than the fewest shots they gave up in a period. And in case you're wondering how many shots, how how many shots was the most shots in a period they gave up? They gave up 30 shots in 20 minutes one time. Yeah. And if you're thinking, well, that was probably just an anomaly, just you know, 30 plus shots, that must be a bad period. Um, they gave up 20 plus periods they played. They gave up 20 plus shots in a period. Uh, so that was all three periods versus USA, two or three periods versus Sweden, one of three periods versus Russia. And they were hanging around with Russia up until the third and they got dismantled. And then two or three periods against the Czechs. Yeah. Like that's just absolutely mind boggling. And yet you look at the Austrian goalies numbers. He stops 173 of 194 shots against Sweden, Czech Republic and team USA. He posted three all-star worthy performances, stopping 50 plus shots in all three games. His GAA was above seven. His record was 0 and three. His save percentage was 892. Yeah. So he almost posted. He almost posted a save percentage in this tournament of 900, <laughs> even though he gave up an average of seven goals a game while being nice. against the best players in this tournament. Yeah. That's how good this kid is. He could either be the next Benjamin Gons, where he's told across all world junior stories, folklore kind of stuff. Remember when this guy just blew yeah. everyone out of the water? Or he could be a rising star in the NHL. I ho- really hope it's the second one, and I hope people take notice of this guy because he could be the real deal. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it was definitely impressive. Even though, of course, like he was lo- losing all these games, like fifteen goals to nothing, but it was so impressive that he was able to like withstand like seventy shots per game, basically. Um, I I have a feeling that a team will look into him, but I don't know if like I want to say that he's going to be an NHL player anytime soon but yeah it's definitely um encouraging to say the least um i'm sure he'll be another one where he'll probably get drafted as like a late round pick um in 2021 um and also uh speaking of latvia i think this just came through the wire that marco rossi had an injury it was they're calling it an upper body injury so he's out indefinitely um, so I don't know, maybe that's, they, maybe that was why we didn't see too much of Marco Rossi, but I think at the same time, it's like, it's tough to blame him when you're getting like 70 shots on goal, um, against, um, every night. So, um, yeah, I, that's something to look into for sure. Um, and then, um, so I do want to mention Oh, we're not, a, as everyone knows, we're not really a, a politics podcast. We only talk about hockey. But I do feel like I don't want to ignore what happened on Wednesday um, because, in a way, I do want to mention that I was, it was weird because, like, on Tuesday night, I was just excited and I was, like, getting ready to talk to my family who hates hockey about the USA. <laughs> um, like, they don't, they don't really like hockey. Um, and, you know, I was getting ready just to, like, trash talk all the Canadians I know and all that stuff. And then, although I sort of was doing that in the game. Still defending Olympic medalists in the NHL era, just saying. Yeah, exactly. So I was just, like, it was, yeah, I was coming off that high. And then, like, around uh, 2 p.m. Eastern, uh, we find out that uh, there was a bunch of domestic terrorists 
who attacked the U.S. Capitol building uh, led on by Donald Trump. Of course, uh, both of us uh, strongly discourage this. Um, and I think like the truly surprising thing about this is that none of this is at all surprising. Uh, this has been leading up for like the past five years, especially since the election. Uh, Donald Trump and his cohorts who have enabled him have been talking about like how like the election is fraud, even though they don't have any evidence. Um, and it's like this is like the true evidence that um, you know that that he's a fascist. Um, and he, he just wants mobs and get what gets what he wants. And the good thing is, is that it could have been a lot worse and it wasn't. Um, so, so that's the good news. But like the bad news is that like, I think America's back to being like really, really like, <laughs> like I, I can't even talk about like, I thought America was better than this. It wasn't. And, um, I don't know. I, I think. He has to be impeached just to hold people accountable. But here's the thing. It's like the U.S. is in such disarray right now where I don't even think he's going to get impeached for this. He should, obviously, but, like, he committed treason. Um, but he's not going to do that because um, all the Republicans, like, are still on his side, basically. So I hope I'm wrong, but it doesn't seem that way. Um and yeah, I think that's about it. And it's just a sad moment of affairs for that. So that's all I'll say on that. Um, yeah, I feel like we should yeah, just go well, on from that. I mean, just a quick thought from my perspective, whether you want to call them domestic terrorists or whatever, it what we saw this week was in America. Yeah, it's it's it everything America, that I but... feel like most Americans stand against. And yeah. it's it shouldn't be tolerated. And it. It was just sickening to watch, frankly, because yeah. I've never been to America. I'm sure there are a lot of people, great people like yourself, that are proud to call America home, that work hard for what they have, that are just great down-to-earth people, that are just as sickened as I am just watching this. Yeah. And I've, I think the next regime is going to have a lot of work to do because yeah. there's a lot of... There, there, there's a lot of stuff that needs to be mended, um, and unfortunately, this week was a reminder that America still has a long way to go to repair yeah. some of those uh, open wounds, and hopefully, it gets fixed soon. Because um, I think I speak for everyone when I say I don't want to see that ever again. Yeah, well, I mean, I would argue that this is America, just but like that's getting into too much of it. Like, there are obviously people like me, and you know people like other things who are decent human beings and and all that stuff but like you know when you when you build this country based off of slavery and all that stuff and like you know taking land from the native americans and killing them in the process of that like this is what's going to happen um so it is america like we, we have a racist past it's just i think what's dangerous is just completely ignoring that <laughs> it's like we have a racist history um but yeah, so I, I, I hope things are getting gonna get better, but I feel like it's um it's not I, I guess I'm like for the first time I feel pessimistic about this country and um I mean I guess the good news is that the Democrats have the Senate now with that Georgia thing, so um so I guess now Mitch McConnell won't have as much power. 
but like still you have to like it's like 51 to 49 senators um anyways i don't want to get into it but um <laughs> that's all i'll say we hope for yeah. the best but um but we'll see um anyway yeah, this, this is why i'm sure a lot of people follow sports just to exactly i know steer away from the political bs well, it was it was weird because like on Tuesday like my family was just watching the Georgia stuff and then I was watching the the USA uh, beat Canada game um, USA Canada game and so it was like good news on both fronts and then the next day we we're just like, it was the exact opposite we we're just like oh right America isn't good <laughs> um, so it's just sad um, I guess is the what I'm trying to say. Um, if, if only we could all be united by by sports, you know, and yeah. just typical, I, I like, hope. regular yeah, things. Yeah, I know. It is a good distraction. Apparently, it's an impossible mission. I don't yeah, know. <laughs> I guess so, yeah. Um, all right. Anyway, uh, getting back to sports. Yeah, exactly. Um, good transition. Yeah, yeah. Matt, Matt Barzell, huh? Yeah, Matt Barzell. He has, uh, he's, he re-signed. Um, I guess it was kind of like there was some doubt where I was thinking like, oh, why isn't he being signed? I think the Islanders signed someone else before him, and I was thinking like that's a little strange. Um, why didn't they just you know they sh- like are they not signing Matthew Barzal? Um, but um, yeah, so it turns out that he has a three-year deal worth seven million. He's I guess a base salary this year of four million. Next year is going to be seven million, and then um, the year like his third year, it's going to be ten million. Um, but I guess just it, that doesn't count on the cap, so it's just sell seven million across the board for some reason. Um, maybe that's just because they're gonna they know that they're going to be playing less games. So I think that was the same for PLD um, contract too. So um, maybe that's just how they're going to do it from now on. Um, or at least this season. Um, anyways, uh, yeah, I think this is a good deal. Matthew Barzal is, like, the best player on the Islanders in terms of forwards. It's just figuring out if, like, you know, how to build around him. Um, Anders Lee and Brock Nelson and, uh, Jordan Eberle, Eberle and Josh Bailey are all great players. Um, and you also add in Peugeot into the mix, but... Like, are those going to be the surrounding guys that you want on your team? I'm not necessarily sure. Um, and, yeah, I guess they have some decisions to make, but it's not too bad. Um, I guess the biggest thing that they have to worry about now is Nick Letty, Ryan Pulak, um, and Thomas Hickey, who are, like, their three top defensemen, are all going to be UFAs in 2022-2023. Oh, and Noah Dobson's also going to be there, too, so... Um, so they might have something to worry about at that point, but um, I think they're in relatively good shape. So, so there are a couple of things to dissect about this. Um, I don't know if you noticed, but the final year Barzell's deal, it, it here's how it breaks down year by year: four million in year one, yeah. seven million in year two, a whopping ten million dollars in year three. I Thankfully, there are already. no bonuses; it's just straight up cash throughout the year. I already, um, I, so, I, so that, I already said that, by the way, but it's okay. Oh, okay. But yeah, um, I, I will emphasize on the year three part where he gets $10 million. 
Um, since he was signed after July 10th, 2020, per the memorandum of our understanding, Matt's qualifying offer will be the lesser of either 120% of the AAV that was agreed upon or 100% of his final year salary, which happens to be $10 million. Therefore, Rule 1 applies, and the qualifying offer will be 120% of his $7 million AAV, which is $8.4 million. That is the qualifying offer at the expiry's contract. That is a lot of money to pay someone with arbitration rights. And while it might be a bit of a dodgy situation for the Islanders, Barzal is 23 years old. By the end of this deal, he'll be like 26, 27 around there. So he'll still be in RFA. If they signed him to a six-year deal, which I believe is what was being discussed, they couldn't make the finances work um, for now. So they, uh, at the start of training camp, they focused on a three-year bridge instead. If they went with the six-year deal, that takes them right seat. And we yeah. all know the last time a big-name free agent was choosing between Long Island and somewhere else, that was John Tavares a few years back, we all know where he went. And it wasn't to the Islanders. Right. He left for Toronto, played for his childhood team. So at least this way, they still have club control with Matt Barzal. You can sign him to like an eight-year deal, and then you get him into like his early 30s. Like by the time he's like 33 or 34, that that eight-year contract you might sign him to in a couple of years down the road. Um, and that basically extends your window instead of testing free agency. And – if someone gives him an offer sheet that the Islanders can't match, well, now they can get compensation because he's an RFA. Right. Whereas Tavares, he just walked to the highest bidder. Or, or one of the highest bidders that wasn't the Islanders. Um, so I, I think in a sense, this kind of worked for the most part. Now they give themselves like a two year window with this group, I feel like, and they can have a bit more flexibility to sign Matt Barzell later when you have contracts like Cal Clutterbuck coming off the books, uh, case put on waivers, I think a season or two ago. So he hasn't really been a big part of their defense core. They also have Andrew Ladd that, uh, they buried in the minors as well. And then Johnny Boychuk's contract. So, yeah, those contracts might come off the books as well or get traded away eventually. At the same time, though, it might take a bit more than just shedding those contracts to keep this group together. That's the thing. Yeah. Um, the good news for the Islanders is once this three-year deal ends, you'll still have Pajot under contract. You'll still have uh, Anders Lee under contract, uh, Jordan Eberle, Brock Nelson, uh, the core of your offense is still going to be booked. You still have a lot of RFAs to sign. You'll have Anthony Beauvillier. You'll have Noah Dobson, uh, just to name a few, and Sebastian Ajo. There are a lot of guys in the prospect pool right now that could be big-time contributors for them. So you're going to have to figure out a way to keep them on board when it's time to pay them, yeah. which is why, again, shedding some of those depth contracts – um, might not be enough uh, for, for the Islanders. But in terms of, like, the player that Matt Barzell is, this guy has posted at least 60 points in each of his first three seasons, at least 40 assists in each of his first three seasons, typically gets you 18 to 22 goals. As a rookie, he posted 80-plus 
plus points in a season, 60 plus assists, and everyone's going to say, yeah, well, John Tavares was still on that team. It was his final year. True, but Barzell was mostly on a different line. He wasn't on the same line as Tavares. I think the main question for Barzell is going to be his success as a faceoff guy because he hasn't even come close to winning 50% of his faceoffs um, as an NHL player. If he can get it to that level where he can become a solidified number one center and he can win like close to 50% of his draws, maybe more than that, all of a sudden when it comes time to pay him in a couple of years, he's going to be laughing to the bank because for whatever reason, people are glorifying centers that can score. Yeah. Like, like for example, Artemi Panarin. He is not a center. He is a winger. He gets over $10 million per year. Imagine a possession driver like Matt Barzell that is very good at zone entries, that is very good at offensive zone puck possession per game. In fact, um, I think he was top five in both of those categories I just mentioned last year. Imagine that guy who can win face-offs. Yeah. If he was a free agent, a lot of teams would be knocking on Matt Barzell's door saying, hey, come play for us. Right. So this is a very good situation for the Islanders. If they start to win face-offs and become that legit number one center, I think $10 million minimum he could be worth in a couple of years. So I, I think this is good for both sides, mostly because for the team, there's club control there, um, which they didn't have with Tavares. And for Barzell, on a personal level, he can get his money later. For now, $7 million to $7 million, that's still a pretty good contract. So I think this is the best scenario for both sides. Uh, again, I would give the Islanders two years with this core. Um, if Sorokin um, conti- uh, elevates his game and potentially usurps Barlamov, they could be a Stanley Cup threat this year, maybe next year for sure. Um I, I, I really like where the Islanders are going, and I think, uh, like I said, this is the best route for both sides to take here. Yeah, I like this deal. I will say on Barzal and what you were saying about like the face-off stuff, I feel like um, for Barzal like, to take the next step, he has to like, score more. Um, but at the same time, <laughs> it's like, um, like, like you were mentioning, but at the same time, like you know, he has Anders Lee, Brock Nelson on his side. Um, you know, you have Oliver Wallstrom coming into the mix, uh, pro- hopefully soon, um, and maybe he'll be something. Uh, Kiefer Bellows, Simon Holmstrom as well. Um, so, like, you know, hopefully, like, he doesn't need to score a lot of goals. He needs to be, like, it seems like he's, like, that Ryan Getzlaff type of player where he can just, you know, play make and, and find the passing lanes to get to the guys. It's just... You know, you need to find those holes and find those players that can uh, shoot the puck and score. Um, I guess so. That, that's that's where I feel like he'll fit more is if he, because I feel like his advantage is his passing ability. Um, and if he doesn't have a ton of snipers on his team, uh, then the Islanders are not going to be a good team. Um, so so I feel like that has to be the way to build around him. And I'm not necessarily sure if those guys are up to the task at hand right now. So maybe, and, and people, but well, people be a bit concerned about the giveaway takeaway ratio. Yeah. And I was looking at that, and it's always been in the negatives uh, with the Islanders. Um, in fact, in year two, I think it was 117 uh, 
giveaways he had. I think it was 103 last year. What people need to understand is those 117 giveaways in 2018-19, probably getting used to the new Barry Trot system and his defensive play, I think, was improving a little bit there. Um, his ice time in his first two seasons was inching closer to 18 minutes, but didn't get to 18 minutes. He averaged over 20 minutes per game this year. His giveaways went down, and in each of his first three seasons, he was leading the Islanders in takeaways, and I think he was top 10 in takeaways league-wide this past season. So, yeah, I guess you could say, well, the takeaway-giveaway ratio isn't um, that isn't nearly as good as someone like Austin Matthews or Mark Stone, but if you look at possession drivers like Eric Carlson and Brent Burns on the Sharks, yep. uh, their giveaway take ratios aren't very good either. Yeah. So I'm not really concerned about that ratio. It's it's something to look at, but it's not the be all and end all of what you should give a player financially. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know. I don't even like. I don't even consider that. That's how much I don't uh, like. I don't even realize that he, he was bad at that. So. Uh, that's how much I really consider that, but um, I assume it's just as long as you can get points. I think there's always a need for you in the NHL. Um, okay. Anyways, uh, Corey Crawford. Um, it's appeared on Friday that Corey Crawford uh, was put on indefinite leave of absence due to personal reasons, um, and then on Saturday he officially announced that he was retiring after ten seasons. Um, and 488 regular season games. Um, of course, he was involved on the Blackhawks with those Stanley Cup wins. Um, I guess, uh, according to Hockey Reference, he he didn't even play on the the first Chicago Blackhawks uh, team that won the Cup, but he was, uh, I guess that was Antti Ranta who, who won that for them, but... Um, uh, no, it was it was Anthony Yemi. Remember oh, him? Oh, really? Oh, okay, interesting. Yeah, he was a rookie at that time, and I don't think the Hawks brought him back, so he went uh, to San Jose uh, the season after. But the tandem in 2009-10 was Anthony Yemi and Cristobal Huet. Oh, interesting. Okay, I thought Ranto yeah. was involved for some reason, but okay. no, Ranto. Uh, Ranto was a few years down the line. He did he did play a role with the Blackhawks, and maybe okay. was a part of. Uh, at least some playoff runs for them, but uh, no, he was not on that 2010 winner. But uh, Crawford was probably like a Scott Wedgwood was on uh, Tampa Bay last yeah, year, yeah, where yeah. like he was on for the ride and like there if they needed and like appeared every now and again. But in terms of a pivotal role, uh, he made his he made his money in 2013 and 2015 with those championships. Yeah, yeah. But so, in 2010, he was more of a spectator then. So yeah. Anyways, he had a uh, he had he won. He won a cup, two cups. Um, I guess he also won two Jennings awards. Mm -hmm. Um, and then he came in fifth. I guess the highest he came in for the Vezina was fifth in in 2014, 2015 and 2015 and 2016. Um, so those were like the times when he was at his height, uh, when he had like a nine twenty four save percentage and a GAA of 2.37. Um, and so both are, uh, and then I guess the year before that, he had a, uh, 2.27 with a 9.24 save percentage again. So that was, that was kind of like his prime, even like in 2013, he had like a 9.17 save percentage and a 2.26. 
GAA or his 2012-13 season where he, I guess this is actually his height, uh, when he had a 926 save percentage and a 1.94 GAA, um, although that was in uh, 30 games or so. So um, take, you have to take that into account somehow. But um, yeah, I think it, the interesting thing about this is I guess it's not so much of a surprise um, because I think a few years ago he was like, he was off the ice, forced off the ice because of concussions. And then I supposedly that's why, um, he thought he could deal with it. Um, but then he, cause now he's on the New Jersey Devils and I was excited for him cause I wanted to see how he would do on a, on a different team. But, um, yeah, it looks like he's, uh, New Jersey's going to have to find something else. Like, I know they have Scott Wedgwood on their uh, roster, but um, we'll see. Maybe there's there's Jimmy Howard still around. Um, I guess Craig Ander- like it feels like all the goaltenders are already signed and stuff, so that's, that's kind of the tricky situation because they have to get desperate. Um, and, my, and Mackenzie Blackwood has to be relied on a lot now. Um, even further, so that's going to be an issue. But, um, yeah, it was a good career. I'm not sure if he's a Hall of Famer, but he definitely has. I wouldn't be surprised if he makes it in on the uh, Yeah, so to take a look at the other current, uh, yeah, Merrick Madsen is one name. Um, He's he's been a prospect kicking around the AHL a little bit. Mike Condon has some NHL experience, although he's been buried in the AHL for the past season or so. Garrett Sparks had a big AHL season a couple years ago. He's on a professional trout with Calgary now. Uh, Cole Keller, professional trout with Winnipeg. Jared Coro, who uh, spent a season or two at Detroit. Zay McIntyre, who has a PTO with Arizona. Um, and uh, Craig Anderson hasn't signed a contract with the Capitals. So if it doesn't work out with the Capitals, uh, Craig oh, Anderson could be an option. But, yeah, the, the name that isn't anywhere that a lot of people would probably point to would be Jimmy Howard. Um, so it'll be interesting uh, to see what they do there. What's interesting also is that the Devils, uh, because Crawford's uh, contract now comes off the books, and he also had an 18 trade list, uh, so that's gone too. Now he's not playing. Uh, um, the Devils have over $12 million in cap space. So they could still get a short-term goaltender and a top six forward slash top four defenseman. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what they do with that cap space there. Regarding Crawford, um, he has two young kids, one of which was born this past year in 2020. Um, he's just turned 36 years old. Um, I doubt we'll see an NHL comeback. Like for an NHL comeback to happen, he'd probably be like 37, 38, 39 years old. That's tough for players to do. I would think it's almost impossible for goalies. So I think this is probably the end of the road. And I think given the resume that you listed there, Brad, uh, I don't really know what else he has to prove to anyone. Yeah. Um, like he's won Stanley Cups. He's made his money. He's made, I think, 45 roughly in career earnings uh, as an NHL goalie. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think he's pretty much settled and uh, he's ready to be with his family. Um, but like the way he was playing at the Edmonton bubble, the way his past three seasons went um, in 2017-18, in a shortened season where he went 16-9-2 due to injury, uh, he had a 2.27 GAA and a 9.29 save percentage. Five of his 10 NHL 
seasons, he had a GAA of 2.30 or lower, and four times his save percentage was 920 or better. And this past year, on that Chicago defense, he went 16-20-3 with a GAA of 2.77 and a save percentage of 917, the same as his rookie year when he won 33 games. So this guy could still play. He could still get wins. He could still provide you decent goaltending. And he had a lot to give to the Devils. But mentally, if you're not there, I, I think he made the right decision to call it a career, and we'll see where the Devils go from here. Yeah, that's um, yeah. We'll see how that goes, but yeah, I guess you're right. He is probably a hall of he is definitely a hall of famer. I guess what I was saying is I'm not sure if he's like a first ballot, but he definitely has. He won't these, be a first ballot. I give yeah. him I give him ten years, but eventually he does get in. Ten years after he's <laughs> he's eligible, you mean? Ten years after he ten years after he's eligible, may, maybe like ten years after his retirement, uh, like within a seven to ten year window when he's eligible. Okay, um, I think he'll get in. Like if if they haven't put in Curtis Joseph in, yeah, um, I I don't know how long it takes for them to put Crawford in. Well, the thing with Curtis Joseph is he, Curtis Joseph hasn't won a Stanley Cup, <laughs> and and Corey Crawford has too. I don't think it's going to take him ten years. Um, but I think it will probably take him um, maybe five years, three three years. I, I don't think he has to wait too long, but I, I think he'll he'll definitely make it. Um, okay, and then uh, last thing before we talk about the season predictions, um, the stars have uh, have been forced to postpone their first three games due to COVID restrictions. Uh, this is because two staff members and six players um, were affected on a Friday. I guess this, like the NHL is kind of been secretive about uh, COVID stuff as opposed to all the, how the other leagues have been dealing with it. But so we like we don't know like who got it or all that stuff. But uh, it looks like they've had that COVID restriction there. But. I think that means that, like, the Stars are going to have such a jumbled schedule, like, where they're going to be playing, like, like, 50, like 58 games, but in, like, 60 days or so, <laughs> um, or, you know, something like, something crazy like that, because it's already a shortened season, um, and the other thing to think about is that, like, the Stars aren't really, like, they played, the last time they played was in September, um, so they're already, like, you know, have a disadvantage against all the other teams. Um, so they haven't had, like, that rest that all the other teams have had, except for Tampa, obviously. Um, so, so that's something to think about. But the good news is that it looks like Ben Bishop might be back sooner than we all expected. Um, it looks like he might be back in, like, mid-March, um, which is better than, I think, what other people were saying, like, maybe in April. Um, he would be back. So um, that's at least good news for for Stars fans. But um, it's gonna be it's gonna be a long couple of days, and I doubt this is gonna be the the only team that's gonna be affected by COVID. Yeah, we'll probably have the COVID protocols on standby and yeah. and break down how the NHL is dealing with this because it's obviously a going situation. Yeah. Um. Here in Canada, all seven Canadian teams have been given the green light to play games at their venues. Um, the two Ontario teams and uh, the Winnipeg Jets uh, were one of the final ones to give approval, but it appears that 
both are good to go. Um, no fans will be allowed in attendance uh, for the Ontario teams. Not much of a surprise there. Here in Ontario on Friday, we had over 4,000 new cases of COVID. And like about a month ago or six weeks ago, it was around like, I don't know, like definitely in the thousands, but like not even 2,000. And now we're up to like 3,000 to 4,000 a day or the past week, week and a half, which is pretty crazy. So, um, and the the government has issued a lockdown. Ontario's been locked down as of Boxing Day. I highly doubt that lockdown gets lifted anytime soon. Um, so it to 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 give you a perspective, it's not really looking good in Canada right now. In Dallas, Texas, or just Texas in general, uh, it's looking worse. Yep. Um, here's what the new surge looks like, and this is partially why. I think the first three games of the star season should be delayed because uh, a reminder, they, they are making the wise decision to allow f- some of the fans to attend their games. Uh, so not only have six players and a pair of staff members contracted the virus, uh, their training facilities have already closed. They will remain closed while further daily testing is conducted. Um, and then we get this from Will Scouch, a contributor for McCain's hockey. 140,568 people in Texas have confirmed cases of COVID-19 from January 1st to January 7th. If it looks grim to you, that's because it is. The population of Texas is 29.4 million. That is 0.48% of the population in a single week infected by COVID. And the seven-day average of new cases has gone from 14,212 per day on Christmas Day, 8,081 on January 7th, an increase of 41%. So the stars are getting infected with COVID, and so is the state of Texas. So, um, yeah, uh, definitely something the NHL is going to monitor, um, not, not just for the Dallas Stars, but the entire state of Texas and whether or not it's wise to even have fans in the stands um, anytime soon, just the way things are escalating there. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's certainly like uh, it's, it's hit the second wave here. So um, yeah, stay safe, everyone. It's not looking great. And I'm sure it's, it's affecting the stars, but I, if I've learned anything from the NFL season or the MLB season, like this isn't going to be uh, the only time that teams are going to have this issue. So um, it's just something we have to get used to during this era um, that like, okay, the teams are going to be ex- expected. It's just now is how is the NHL going to deal with it? And that's just the question. Um, so... So, on that note, <laughs> um, we have some season, season predictions. Of course, we did season previews with all the different divisions the last two weeks. By the way, did you hear that, like, the, the four divisions are, like, have sponsors now, which is just crazy? <laughs> um, but... <laughs> Um, so I, I think inevitably... they got to make money yeah. somehow, Brett. No, no, I know. It's just, like, a crazy thing. Like, I'm going to be still calling them, like, the North, the West, and, you know, the East, and the Central, but, like, I think what, there's... What is one of the Ico Central division? Yeah, it's, like, Socha Bank, I think, is one of them. I forget all the other ones, but okay, it's just... Okay, Bank is for sure the Canadian one. Yeah, yeah. But, that like... That is for sure the Canadian one. 
yeah, I, I don't want you to take that as 100%, but, um, but yeah, I just found that kind of funny because I know that they're gonna, probably going to have sponsors on, on helmets and I'm sure j sponsors on jerseys is inevitable at this point and I'm fine with that, but... Um, do, do you know the exact sponsor names of the divisions, by the I'll, way? I'll look this, this up. the first I've heard it. I'll, I'll look this up when you uh, say uh, we're doing season predictions... Um, who will win the okay. Stanley Cup? And I'll tell you after that when I look it up. <laughs> okay. Uh, so I'll start with the Stanley Cup prediction. Uh, I'm going to take the Colorado Avalanche here. Uh, Tampa might be too tired to repeat as champions. And granted, by the playoffs, Stamkos could be 100%. Kucherov could be back. And the Bolts even still remain a big threat. But the Avs, I think, have a lot to prove. Uh, the run last year... Uh, by last year, I mean a few months ago, didn't end how they wanted it to. Uh, I think that will motivate every single player on that roster to do better this year. And hopefully with a bit of luck, that roster remains healthy for uh, the 56-plus games that they play. Um, the only question mark, as I mentioned um, a few weeks ago, is goaltending. Can they get solid showings from their goaltender every night? Can the tandem of Pavel Francis? Uh, and uh, Philip Grubauer stay healthy throughout the year. And whether they get that solid goaltending from that tandem from within or they get it via trade, they have to get it from somewhere. I think overall this team has a great blend of young talent, veteran leadership, and just all-out superstar talent. They have lots of back end. That could be even better if Bowen Byron makes an impact. Um, so to that I ask, why not the Colorado Avalanche? Why not this year? Um, so I'm taking the Avs. To win the cup. Yeah, that's not a bad choice. I was, I I'm gonna take the other one. Uh, I was, by the way, I still haven't found it yet, so I'll, I'll let you know when I do find it. I'm still looking. Um, the um, I'm gonna go with the Vegas Golden Knights um, as my Stanley Cup champion in their fourth season. I feel like it's time that they're gonna do it. I think the addition of Alex Petrangelo is gonna help them a lot. Um, and I'm kind of like, I am curious how they're going to handle the Shea Theodore and Alex Petrangelo situation. Like who's going to take the power play. Uh, like it seems like there's both like the alpha dogs in that situation, but I think those are eventually going to be handed out eventually. And, um, and I guess there is like that thing of like, what's going to happen with Marc-Andre Fleury and Robin Leonard. But I think this is one of those things where, um, this season, with a condensed schedule like this, it's very important to have like two very good goalies um, in your system because there's going to be a lot of back-to-backs, and I think that's going to be helpful to them. Um, and so, like, it may not. I know that Mark Andre Fleury may be traded and all that stuff, but I think it they could use this to their advantage, where it's, it might just be a 50-50 type thing or a 60-40 type thing, and Mark Andre Fleury won't be unhappy when that happens. So. Um, um, just so just to, to, to interrupt for a quick sec, I found the division names okay. um, on the press release. So um, the division that your Bruins are in, Brett, the East Division, it's the Mass Mutual East Division. Okay. And they have uh, logos for all four divisions. They look pretty sick, actually. Um, Scotia North, I was right, Scotiabank for the yep. Canadian Division. Makes sense. Um, the Honda West Division. Okay. And the Discover Central Division. Okay, so I know that the Ducks play on the Honda Center, 
So that's probably why they have the West Division. That's that's possibly yeah. That's kind of interesting. But yeah, so anyways, it's it's kind of like a weird aside. It doesn't really matter. It's just kind of funny. So yeah. I picked Vegas, you picked um Colorado. Those are good yeah. choices. Um yeah, so uh that I I I doubt we'll hold each other accountable for that, but um <laughs> we'll see. Um all right. So let's go with uh, our next Season prediction here. Name one team that will take a huge step forward. Um, so since you went the last time, I'll go here. I'm gonna go with San Jose. Um, I feel like a big, as I mentioned in the previews, um, I feel like a big reason why San Jose wasn't um, as good last year as they were in the previous year was just because, like, yeah, Martin Jones, he's not as good as we all thought he was. But uh, you also had injuries to Logan Couture, Thomas Hurdle, uh, Eric Carlson for some time. Uh, I think Timo Hurdle also, uh, Timo Meyer uh, missed some time too. So, like, because a lot of their key players were injured, I think they, were, um, they weren't prepared for it. Um, and now, like, you know, you add Devin Dubnik, you add, like, Ryan Donato, which should help for depth reasons, um, Devin Dubnik, and who knows with Devin Dubnik and Martin Jones, he didn't, you know, like, it could be an improvement on Martin Jones, um, so I think, I think, uh, like, the Sharks could get going and they might surprise a few teams, um, it's like if you remember, this team made the Western Conference Finals two years ago, um, so I, I I feel like they could reach that level again. Um, so yeah, that's my pick. That's a pretty good pick. Um, I know I talked about them a lot, but I love the Carolina Hurricanes um, these days. Um, they were doing all right last year. Um, yep. Their record wasn't intimidating to look at, though, and I think part of that is because their division was so damn difficult to play in. Yep. Uh, but the division they're in this year is a bit more flexible. They'll be getting to play Detroit eight times. What fun. Uh, Chicago could be cannon fodder as well. Columbus and Dallas could have a rough time. Um, I think Carolina could really shred things up. Um, again, goaltending is going to determine how well they do. But Carolina, I think, could reach another level this year. So I'm going to go with the Canes here. All right. Yeah, I guess, like, for both the Canes and the Sharks, they both have a benefit of playing in a weaker division. So I think that was part of my reasoning, too, is, like, I feel like the Western division isn't as strong as all the other ones. So they could just sneak into the playoffs um, and maybe make some noise. And, yeah, it looks like you're saying the same for Carolina. Now, question for the Sharks. Do you think Martin Jones is the number one goalie, or is it Devin Dubnik? I think it's Dubnik. I think so. Although, if you if I wanted to get crazy bold here, I could say <laughs> that um, I feel like Melanchuk could be in place. Like, they could just bring Melanchuk um, to the States and have him be like a 1B situation or something. But, yeah, I do think Dubnik's going to replace um, Martin Jones. Um, Could be this year's just your Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. If I wanted to get crazy bold, I'm not predicting that, but I'm I'm saying there's like a one percent chance that could happen. Um, all right. Name one team that will take a huge step backwards, Steve. 
oh, you're not going to like this, Boston. Yeah, um, partly because they were President's Trophy winners. I don't think they're going to be as good record-wise this year. They're in a very tough division, I would argue, tougher than the division they're typically in, uh, where they have Detroit and Ottawa to dunk on. Uh, perhaps their special teams will be close to a top-10 ranking, but they were among the cream of the crop last year, like top three, top five. I don't think it's that this year. The good news is Marshawn appears to be ready to go. Pasternak might be a little ahead of schedule in his recovery yeah. uh, from off-season surgery, which is good. But I think a little bit of the age is going to start to show. They're going to miss Chara's presence on the back end a little bit, and they might still make the playoffs, but not going to be as good as they were last year. Well, okay. So <laughs> you're su- you still have them maybe in the playoffs. Maybe. Yeah, Depending I mean, on how the division okay. shakes up, they might still make it. I agree that I don't think they'll make the, they'll win the president's trophy again, but I do think that they'll at least make the playoffs. So I guess technically you're right, but um, uh, we'll see. I, I am uh, just going to the Bruins a little bit. Um, I am encouraged that Marshawn said that he the last two and a half years he tried um, – he felt like he was 85% um, because, like, he couldn't run when he was off the ice and all that stuff. So I'm just thinking, like, if this is what Marshawn was at 85%, like, I can't imagine what he feels like now when he fe- he said that after the surgery he feels like a new person. I mean, I'm sure that's probably what every player says, but, like, <laughs> like it's... It's just like a mental thing where he feels like he's better than ever. I can't imagine what Marshawn's going to do now when we've been seeing an 85% Brad Marchand. We might actually see a Hart Trophy, Hart Marchand, our favorite inside joke a couple of years ago. So um, I am excited to that for that, but who knows. Um, for me, uh, I think it's it's actually a team we, we already talked about early on on this show, I'm going to go with the New York Islanders. I think they're going to take a step back. Um, I do think Sororkin is going to be a good goalie. I, I still don't know if he's going to take like to the NHL, like uh, Shesterkin has, or like Carter Hart has, but I think he'll eventually get there. Um, so I think, uh, but I'm not like a hundred percent convinced that he's going to be the guy. Um, and also like, I feel like, 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 yeah, I know Barry Trotz is a good coach and all that stuff, but I feel like like just their talent level is just going to deteriorate, especially now that they're in a tougher division. Um, so um, I'm not sure if they're going to make the playoffs, even though they were pretty good. You know, they made the conference finals last year. So, um, yeah, that, that would be my pick. Interesting. All right. Um, this season, um, we'll have a lot of promising rookies. Um and who do we think will win and or get nominated for the Calder? Uh, so I kind of cheated with this answer um, because I, I gave a list of different players. But I think uh, Kirill Kaprizov's probably going to win. I guess there is some doubt with um, how, like, who, what, like, any centers that Kaprizov's going to play with. But I think at this time, like, he was, like, probably the he's been the best player in the KHL for a long time and I think that amounts to something kind of like what Kucherov and Panarin were when they transferred over so I think Kaprizov um, if he's as good as people say he is I think uh, he'll be good and of course I mean 
I said, like, I guess I said the opposite about Sorokin, but I feel like there might be less pressure on Kaprizov, just a tiny bit, um, because, like, you know, he's going to be on a bad team. But I think at the same time, he this could be a player that uh, could, you know, change the whole landscape of, of a team, uh, kind of like what Pedersen did um, when he got into the league um, a few years ago with uh, Canucks. So we'll see about that. Other dark horse candidates I have here, uh, Trevor Zegras and Dylan Cousins, as I mentioned. Um, I mean, I guess that's not just for fantasy purposes, but I think those guys... Uh, could make some noise. We'll see. Um, and I guess uh, just in terms of opportunity, I was thinking of Alex Beret-Boulay. Um, I know Nikita Kucherov was injured um, and is going to be on LTIR. So I feel like they're going to need, the Lightning are going to need some player to fill in on the wing. And Beret-Boulay seems to be that guy. Um, so I feel like he could be like a, a dark horse candidate for the Calder. Also, um, with the um, uh, since Kirby Doc's out for the year and Jonathan Taze is going to be injured for a long while, uh, the um, the Blackhawks also signed uh, this guy named Pius Suter, who is like killing it in the Swiss League. Um, so I think, um, and I don't know if too many people actually have heard of him before uh, now. So. Um, I feel like he might be someone that we might be hearing, kind of like a Dominic Kubelik-type situation. Um, and maybe Lightning does strike twice for them. Um, and I guess um, the other one I was thinking of was Philip Sedina, but I'm not sure if he counts for the Calder. So um, so I might <laughs> hold that off, because I feel like he I forget what the drop-off is on that. But So yeah, those would be my, my picks uh, for Promising Rookies. All right, good picks, good picks. Um, yeah, not easy to predict a winner this year, but yeah. I'm going to try. Uh, from the New York Rangers, Igor Shizurkin. Okay. Uh, not picking Lafreniere. Um, the main reason why the Rangers had even a chance to enter the playoff picture last night, uh, last year was because of Shizurkin. The positive impact that he made, the team really got on a roll with him midway through a season, which I think is tougher to do. Um, most times is enter the picture mid-season and automatically your team catches fire. Um, I think he's a solid goaltender. He's going to prove it even more this year. Even if the Rangers don't make the playoffs, I think in the final days of the regular season, they'll be in the hunt. So um, I think if they're in at least the hunt, it'll be a good year for him. Um, in terms of other rookies that um, I think could get nominated or will at least get some accolades, of course, Lafreniere is the obvious name. Um yeah, I don't think he's going to win the award because the Blue Shirts have so many talents and one puck on the ice. You have Panarin, who was nominated for league MVP. Zabanajad, who's turned into a top 10 goal scorer the past few years. Capocacco's there. Ryan Strom is there. Um, a lot of other names. Uh, and Lafreniere is potentially starting his career on the third line. I don't know if he can win a Calder on the third line. He right. will maybe get those power play situations to pad the stats as often as he'd like. And I'm not saying he'll not win the award because he doesn't have a chance. Of course he has a chance. He's a number one overall pick. Right. But I just don't think it's likely that he will. I think someone like Jashurkin is probably going to get more of the accolades because um, he's probably going to be the more pivotal reason why the Rangers win or lose games. Uh, and, of course, I'm going to go with my boy Timmy Stutzla. Um, oh, yeah. Ready for the pros. 
interested to see what he'll do, and I think he'll do enough to get nominated. So I knew you were going to talk about Tim Stutzla. Um, <laughs> yeah, yes, Lafreniere. I'm more worried about the like you know that that whole like he has Panarin and Kreider on his left side. Um, so like. I mean, I think he is ultimately going to be better than both those guys, I think. Um, but, like, he has been the best CHL player the past two years, so he is definitely has the potential to do so. Um, so it might just be, like, something where, like, he just, he's, like, too good that, to leave him off on out of the top six and on the top power play. So I think eventually he could be there, but um, maybe not right now. Um, yeah. But yeah, those are good choices, I guess, too. Um, Tim Sutzlow will definitely have some opportunity. But again, it's kind of like a Kaprizov situation where who are his teammates? <laughs> um, so um, we'll see. Um, okay, so which guys are you going to keep tabs on for the entire season? And then also, why should we pay attention? So... Um... I will say the first name just in passing, not the main guy I'm going to be paying attention to, but I will be paying attention to Blake Coleman of the Tampa Bay Lightning, okay. uh, mostly because um, of the numbers he put up in New Jersey last year. I'm interested to see what he can manufacture in a full season with Tampa, especially with Kucherov out for the regular season. Stamkos maybe not at 100% yet. Also a big contract year for him, so he could be extra motivated to do some damage there. So Blake Coleman is is definitely one guy I'm going to be paying attention to. The guy I'll be paying the most attention to is a guy we might have mentioned in passing already, Mackenzie Blackwood of the New Jersey Devils. Uh, um, he led the rookie class last year in wins with 22. He had a 22-14-8 record, 2.77 goals against average, 9-16 save percentage with a couple of shutouts in between there. New Jersey as a team was six worse than the NHL, and yet among NHL goalies to start 40-plus games last year, he owned the sixth highest save percentage league-wide. The only others who posted a better save percentage was your ask, Connor Halibut, Ben Bishop, Jacob Markstrom, and Andre Vasilevsky. A lot of those guys have been nominated for or have even won Vezina trophies in their careers. And it also helps when Martin Brodeur, a Hall of Famer, believes in your abilities and he he thinks that um he, he has a lot of qualities um and mentions if there's one thing that blackwood's going to need to learn it's to play the puck a little bit better well playing the puck a little bit better guys like craig anderson for whatever reason they just don't play the puck well and that's okay as long as you stop the puck that's your main job as a goalie not every goalie is going to be a mike smith or a Kerry price or a ron hextall that adds like a a third defenseman on the ice for you. Um, the the fact of the matter is, as a goaltender, uh, you're not there to make plays. You're there to do your job, and to do your job, you need to keep the puck out of the net. And he was one of the best at it on a team that, down the stretch, got outshot quite a bit, and he was holding them de- uh, holding them in most of those games. So I really want to see when he has a, f- a full season – uh, where where he's the goalie, what he can do because they yeah. got Nico Dawes down the stretch, um, uh, or, or not down the stretch, but uh, they got him uh, in in uh, the draft in the in the recent draft, the 2020 NHL draft, and he's got the potential to be a goalie of the future. Blackwood 
can prove right now that he's the goalie of the present and the future yep. if he played really well. Like the rhetoric of getting Corey Crawford was being a guy that can mentor Blackwood. This can be a huge chance for him to step up and say, don't worry about me. Let's yep. just go win games. So interested to see um, how Blackwood grows and matures, not just as a, a goaltender, but uh, as a professional on and off the ice. Um, and I think this season could be indicative of what's to come. So I'm really paying attention to what Blackwood does this year. Yeah, that's a good choice. Um, yeah, I, I feel like he's kind of hurt by Corey Crawford not playing, but um, but at the same time, that he has all the opportunity again. I think he really started to figure it out towards the end of the season um, when all these games were meaningless for them, but um, I think we can see that. Um, so in terms of, for me, um, I am interested in guys like Patrick Laine, Pierre-Luc Dubois, uh, just because I'm wondering how they're going to cope with all these trade rumors that are happening, and like, there's all these odds about like if they're going to be traded and all that stuff, and there's like, like that huge trade uh, press conference where Laine was asked on if he, uh, like, what he thought about his agent who had, like, supposedly asked for a trade for the Jets and, like, Patrick Laine said, like, oh, you know, he's just going to let things be or whatever. Uh, so I am coming around to um, he just wants to play his game and he's more focused on the game than anything. And, and then he even said, like, crazy stuff happens. Even, like, Wayne Gretzky got traded. Um, and, like, I think I'm coming around to your point of view on this where I think, like, you know, I think beforehand I didn't think that Patrick Laine wanted to be traded. But after watching that press conference, I think he does want to be traded. Um, so I am curious about that. Um, but I am going to go with uh, Jack Hughes, um, actually. <laughs> I, I talked about this a bit. Um, so it's Mackenzie Blackwood's uh, teammate here. But uh, I talked about this last week. But, um, yeah, I think there's it's something that's interesting where I ha have been seeing these reports that he's gain muscle, this muscle and stuff. I think like towards the end of the season, he they moved him to the wing, which seems like it could have worked out for him. And there's so many like players like him that like, you know, he's 5'10 and he's a center. So maybe he does make more sense to be a winger as opposed mm -hmm. to a center. And so like, I am curious about like, there's still so much hype to him um, that I am curious to see if he can, like, uh, be even better than he was in the first season than he was in, um, now. Um, and, it, like, he had, like, a decent amount of games um, last year, but it was clear that, you know, there was, some, like, a learning curve for him. So I am curious if he's going to take that next step and actually be the no, first overall pick that everyone was expecting him to be. Uh, right, he had like 21 points in 61 games. Not terrible for like a rookie, but um, I wonder how he's going to do in the next hand when um, when he has more experience under his belt and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, I, I feel like he will, and he might be an exciting player to watch for sure. Um, okay, um, that about does it for us. Um 
Yeah, so you can catch us on Lace on uh, Twitter, Lace M Podcast. Um, our Facebook is Lace Em Up. We sometimes update it there. Um, you can also listen to all our episodes on SoundCloud at Lace Em Up. Um, also, we have all our episodes on iTunes and Spotify, too. Um, and, yeah, that's about it. I'm Brett Dubuff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again in episode 252 when the NHL finally returns on the Lace Em Up podcast. Finally. <laughs>